Okay, so I need to begin with the following, the following question. What do you call twins? You know what the answer is? Woomates. Woomates. Are you with me? All right. Listen, for those in Atlanta, you know that's how I roll. For those in Raleigh, again, what happens in this safe space stays in this safe space and just report back the good stuff. All right. So we have a, we have a fantastic class. The subject tonight, um, the subject is twins and specifically uh, the most famous set of twins in the Bible. And that is, namely, Yaakov and Esau, a.k.a. Jacob and Esau. So these are the two most famous set of twins with the most drama and the most controversy. So much, so much uh, goes on. It, in fact, this is a drama, the story of, of Jacob and Esau. It's a drama that's filled with intrigue, rivalry, um, uh, animosity, possible reconciliation. It dates back 3,500 years. 3,500 years. Give me a second. Let's let everybody in. This dates back 3,500 years to the original Jacob and Esau. But as our sages tell us, in truth, the drama continues on to this very day. So what we're going to do, and, and the, I'll tell you even the deeper truth is, not only does the drama that began 3,500 years ago, the, 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 the rivalry between Jacob and Esau exist, can carry on to this very day. It goes back even more than 3,500 years. The drama doesn't begin with Jacob and Esau. The rivalry, the struggle, the tension doesn't begin there. It begins earlier, much earlier. In fact, it begins, you know where? At a time before time itself. It begins at a time before time. If you want to know what I mean, then you have to stay tuned and listen to as I explain what I mean. So, today we look at the sibling rivalry for the ages, Jacob and Esau. Um, it, the story begins, as you and I know, with struggle. It begins with a little wrestling um, within the womb. And it culminates, as we'll at least culminating today, with Jacob taking, or maybe some would say stealing, the firstborn blessings. You and I, we all read the story, we all learned the story as kids, but what we learned as kids, that was only the tip of the iceberg because as, as we'll see tonight, the story contains epic lessons, genuinely epic lessons, which can only be revealed once we study the Kabbalah of the story. So that's what we'll do. This is Jacob and Esau, the mystical tale, the story that they don't teach kids, but you and I have the privilege of studying together tonight. Once again, this class, this lesson will follow the same five-step process, five-act structure. Act one, we'll tell the story. Act two, we'll ask a bunch of questions. Act three, we'll present the Kabbalistic, mystical, spiritual insight. Act four, we'll answer all the questions. And act five, you and I will walk away from this lesson with life lessons that we can apply to our own life and our own struggles, whether it's between our siblings, if you're a twin, maybe you're a twin, but more importantly, or maybe more relevantly, it's going to apply to our lives in totality. So again, we're going to tell the story, ask the questions, present the Kabbalah, answer the questions, and walk away with life lessons. We begin with part number one. This is the story of Jacob and Esau. It's important as we analyze these stories. Again, we're trying to take a story dissect it, deconstruct it with questions, right? Blow it up with questions, put it back together again with Kabbalah. So it's important 
to not work based on memory, our, our, our memory of the story, but rather to go back into the text, to go back into the original form that the story was told, and then go from there. All right, so I'm going to read the story. It's a long, uh, you'll see it's in a few, three different parts. We'll start with the first part, second part, third part will come later. Um, I'm going to read it. I'll put this, the, the, the text up on the screen. If you have it, great. If not, you can read it from the screen or you can follow on from the screen. But here's your work. I'm going to do a lot of reading. So that's my work. Here's your work. Okay, you ready? Think of questions on the story. As I'm reading it, you think of your questions. And when I'm done, I'm going to turn to you and say, anyone have questions? And I want to hear your questions on the story. All right, make sense? We're all on the same page? Yes? Let me see some nods. Yes? All right. Good. Not nodding off. That's something else. Save that for sermons. This is a class. Let's do this. All right, I'm sharing my screen. Um, sharing screen. Here we go. All right, everybody. Let's do this. Text number one. I'm going to make it bigger so everyone can see. Again, if you have your textbook, fantastic. I do this just for ease of following along. Text one. The struggle in the womb. Oh, I probably should mention that we're talking about <laughs> who are the parents? We know the kids, right? We talked about the, who are the parents? Isaac and Rebecca, Yitzchak and Rivka. They're married, married for about 10 years. They, she can't get pregnant. She's uh, not able to get pregnant. They're praying, they're davening. She's blessed and she's getting, and she got pregnant. Here we go. Here's what happens during the pregnancy. Um, the struggle in the womb. The children struggled within her. And she said, if so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of God. By the way, this line, if, in case you're thinking, that's a weird line to say, if so, why am I thus? What does that mean? So some commentaries explain it. <laughs> if, it's so, if it's so painful, the pregnancy is so painful, why am I thus? Why did I ask for this blessing? Right? You know what they say, be careful what you ask for, you might just get it. So at some point in the pregnancy, it was so painful, so difficult, based on the struggle, that she said, do I really want this? So she went to inquire of God. All right, let's continue inside. God said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two kingdoms from your insides will diverge. Kingdom will overpower kingdom, and the elder will serve the younger. Um, in English, in our parlance, that would mean Mazel Tov, you're pregnant with twins. Plus some other interesting piece of information, which we'll unpack soon. Let's continue. Her days to give birth were fulfilled, and behold, there were Tu'umim, there were twins in her womb. The first came out ruddy, his entirety as a hairy mantle, and they called his name Asaf or Esau. After that, his brother came out, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel, and he called his name Jacob, Yaakov, which means heel. Let's continue. The lads grew up. Esau was a man who knows game, a man of the field. And Jacob was a wholesome man, a dweller of tents. And how did the parents, what did the parents think about them? In case you're wondering, the Torah continues, Isaac loved Esau for the game in his mouth, and Rebekah loved Jacob. And now, I'm going to stop sharing. And let me check in with you and uh, see if there are any quick questions that we can ask on what we just read. Any questions, please unmute yourself. Please unmute yourself and fire away. 
Questions? Um, modern parenting, we don't play favorites with our children. We love all our children equally. Of course, sure we do. Of apps, a hundred, sure. Uh-huh. Uh, well, all of them equally. Sh no, I'm kidding. No, you're right. You're right. I'm joking. You're right. It seems like playing favorites, by the way, you know why parents today do that? Because they've read the Bible. It never works. It never works. Jacob and Esau, Joseph and the brothers, it, it's not worth it at some point, right? All right, I'm only half kidding. I'm also kind of serious. But tonight, this is part of the exploration. Excellent point. Any other questions, comments? Who else? Who else? Feel free to jump in. Folks, don't be shy. Alex. Hold on, hold on. One second, one second. Um, hold on, hold on. Doreen, one second. Alex, go ahead. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my question is, why did Itzhak so love oh. Esau for the game in his mouth? Uh, it, it, doesn't, it confuses me that Itzhak... Uh, Valued that aspect excellent. more than the wholesomeness of Yaakov. That's an excellent question. That's an excellent question. My mother is telling me that that was her question also. So you and my mom are on the same page tonight. So I want to say this. There's a third one on the page. I just because it, it says Yitzhak loved him for what he did. Yeah. Rivka just plain loved her child. Oh, look at that! Right, so. So there's, so there's really two elements. I, I, I love this. Two elements in the question. One is, as Alex is asking, what's this business? He loves him because of the food. He loves him because his son hunts and gives him something to eat, a, a, an animal to eat. What is this? I mean, that sounds, uh, that sounds very superficial. And then the, the, other, the other point is, and this is what Doreen is saying, is so Yaakov, sorry, Yitzchak says, Isaac says, you know, if you bring me food, I like you. And Rivka, she loves Yaakov. Doesn't say why. She just loved him. So it seems like one is loved for what they're giving or what they're doing, and one is loved for who they are. Again, very interesting and compelling insights. Um, most of these points we are going to explore from Kabbalah tonight. So keep all of these in mind. I know I am. Um, I'm going to ask one more time. Any any other, before we read the next part of the story, any other yeah. points, questions? Yeah. Morris, go ahead. What is the about East, uh, about Jacob Esau. Say it one more time. Say, say it one more time. What's the significance of what is, what is the significance yes, of Jacob holding Esau's heel? Ah, good. What's the deal with the heel? Excellent question. He's holding his heel. Right? What's, what, what does that mean? Right. Excellent, excellent question. I'll give you the simple explanation, but you know what? Keep it in mind, because maybe when we study the Kabbalah tonight, maybe that will come into focus as well. On a simple level, it means that they were wrestling, they were jostling and jockeying for position in the womb as to who would be born first, to the point that when Esau dives out, or whatever, slides, however, you know, however that, no, um, no not slides, um, dives out first, right, head first, so Yaakov is like, no, wait, he's holding on to the heel to try to slap him back in, that's the simple explanation, but of course, of course, we are going to explore this from a deeper perspective. Rabbi, you could also interpret it as being, trying to create unity. Oh, look at you, look at that, it's a little Kabbalah right there, excellent, all right, listen, Hold these thoughts. Hold these thoughts. 
Excellent. All right, Mindy, go ahead. The phrase that caught my attention was the elder will serve the younger. Oof. And yep. usually it's the other way around. Usually the elder is the leader, the firstborn son. So the the fact that it was the elder will serve the younger, I'm sure that's going to come into play in this lesson. I just Excellent. To that out. Excellent. Excellent. What what's what, what's with the uh, the tables being turned? Good. Anastasia, go ahead. Yeah, I have a question. Why is so many women in the Bible struggle to get pregnant? Excellent, excellent question. We have Sarah struggling. We have Rebecca struggling. Um, we have later on Rachel. Rachel, Rachel, she struggles to have children. We have other stories from the books of the prophets. Excellent question. Um, good. I don't know that we're going to address that specifically tonight, um, but it's a good question. You know what? It's, it's actually a topic unto itself. Maybe at the end of the class, if, if you remember, remind me, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll jump into it. But it's, it's, it's a very good question. All right, let me jump into the next part of the narrative. So if you, hold on one second. If you have more questions, hold on. Let, let me do a little bit more of the story, and you can always ask then. But I want to advance the story a drop, and then we're going to pick it up one more time. Okay, so let's, uh, let me share my screen one more time, just so we're all literally on the same page. And all right, now, now we fast forward. Years. Okay, so that was the birth, the pregnancy and birth of the twins. This is toward the uh, later on in uh, their father's life, Isaac's life. He wishes to bless his, well, his oldest son, Esau, but we, we know how that ends. All right, but no spoiler alerts. Let's read it together. Text number two. Um, it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dimmed of sight. And he called his elder son Esau. And he said to him, here, please, I have grown old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, please pick up your implement, your sword and your bow and go out to the field and trap game for me. Again, we have that game, trapping game, hunting. Make for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me and I will eat in order that my soul should bless you before I die. So again, it seems like this is close to the end of the life of Isaac. He wishes to bless his oldest son, the one that we read before that he loved. And he says, prepare some, hunt some animal, trap an animal, hunt an animal, and prepare it for me and give it to me. I'll eat and I'll give you a brach. I'll give you a blessing. Now, here comes the subterfuge. Ready, Rebecca? Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau, and Rebecca said to her son Jacob, whom she loved, if you recall, listen to my voice, to that which I am commanding you. Go now to my flock and take for me from there two goodly goat kids. She had her own flock, by the way, right? She had her own, you don't need to hunt, I got the animals right here. So she says to Jacob, go to my flock, take two goodly kid, goat kids, and I'll prepare them as delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Don't worry, I'm going to make dinner. You will bring to your father and he will eat in order that he should bless you before his death. Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, here my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Wow, Jacob was smooth. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I will be in his eyes as a trickster, and I will bring, in other words, like um, uh, a fraud, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, your curse is upon me, my son. Only listen to my voice and go take from me. What a Jewish mother, right? Don't worry about it. Listen to me. The curse, I'll take the curse. Just go ahead and do what I'm telling you. All right, let's continue. 
So what happens? Rebecca took the desirable garments of her elder son Esau and she dressed her younger son Jacob. So she put him in the clothing that would be familiar. Remember, the father Isaac, his eyes became dim with age. He couldn't see. All right. And she dressed the goat kid skins on his hands. She put animal skins on his hands and upon the smoothness of his neck to give him a hairy neck. He came, sorry for having to spell that out. He came to his father and he said, and the father said, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Isaac said to Jacob, please approach and I will feel you, my son. Are you this, my son Esau, or not? Suspicion abounds. Jacob approached his father Isaac and he felt him and he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob and the hands are the hands of Esau. Isaac is confused. He did not recognize him for his hands were as the hands of his brother Esau, Harry. Right? But something was off nonetheless and he blessed him. What was the blessing? Here we have a word-for-word rendition of the blessing in English. God shall give to you of the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth and an abundance of grain and wine. Nations will serve you. Kingdoms will bow, down, will, will bow to you. You shall be a master over your brothers and your mother's sons shall bow to you. Those who curse you shall be cursed and those who bless you shall be blessed. I'm stopping sharing once again and I'm turning to you. Ask me questions. What do you got? That's the story of the blessings of Jacob taking the blessings, Isaac giving the blessings to him, and, of course, the blessing itself. Jump in. Go ahead. I told you to think of questions. Now's your chance. Jacob, I, didn't, Jacob oh. didn't protest too much. He was very, it seemed, eager to go along with his mother. He just wanted to know how it was going to work. Okay, right. So he's kind of he's kind of a little bit protesting, like, oh, no, what if I get caught? But that doesn't seem like he's worried about the actual um, deception, right? I think that's what you're saying. It does not seem yeah. that he's worried about the deception. It's kind of like, if I get caught in the deception, then, oh, I'm going to get cursed. But not like, how could I deceive father? He doesn't say it wouldn't be right to deceive father. That doesn't come out of his mouth. What, what, what his concern is, what if I get busted and then it's going to backfire? So then what's the point of doing it, right? Why didn't Rifka ever tell her husband? What was told to her? Good, good. Why doesn't Rebecca? Why doesn't Rebecca spill the beans? Excellent, excellent. Good. Stan, go ahead. Rabbi, Rabbi. Oh, so hold on one second. Hold on, Stan, one second. We have. Rabbi. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Berman, you don't have my picture. My name is different there. My son. No worries. I'm from Raleigh. Hey, Question. welcome. It says that Esau was the elder. Yeah. And J and uh, uh, the other son. Uh, Jacob. The other son was the uh, Jacob was the younger, but they were twins. Right. Matter of matter of minute, a matter of moments. Remember, he was holding onto the heel, so the first one out was Esau, was Esau, and the next one out was Jacob. So you had an elder and a younger, even with twins. You know, they could be uh, minutes apart, seconds apart, but they're still they're still. It seems to me that there seems to be an importance that this difference in age is noted. Excellent. Again. Good. Perfect. Right. The fact right. that it emphasizes elder younger seems significant. Hold on one second. Let's get back to Stan. Yes. Excellent point. Go. 
in, uh, in in reading the translation in the uh, in in uh, the first part of text two, yeah, he says uh, basically, "Go make me a good meal, in order that my soul should bless you before I die." Right. And then in the blessing itself, it seems like he's giving God's blessing. He says, "God shall give." to you of the dew of the heavens, etc., etc. He's sort of like, to me, it seems like he skipped the track there. Is, it, is he blessing or is God blessing? Is he giving God's blessing or is he giving the blessing of his soul? He's kind of saying that his blessing is that God should bless because ultimately God is the source of all blessing. So the best thing that he can say is, I wish for you that God should bless you. It's kind of a, a good wish, but it's also a tzaddik, a righteous person, has the power to channel and almost, uh, I can't say force the hand of God, but kind of, you know, put in a good word, right? Put in a good word, you know, may God do this, and and the, the belief is that that would be helpful. Um, Richard, go ahead. Uh, yeah, quick question, just, uh, it was strange to me that he jumped so quickly from being in doubt to giving the blessing I'm not sure what changed his mind that he excellent. went ahead and did that. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Right, so Isaac, the father, seems to be skeptical. He says something's wrong, something's amiss, something's awry over here. And the next thing you know, he's like, all right, yeah, let's, let's just jump in. Yeah, I can't verify it. I'm, I'm doing the old, you know, this is before two-factor verification. You know, they would send you nowadays an SMS with a code. You'd have to type it in, copy, paste it, whatever. Um, Joking, obviously, but but uh, listen, it, it is what you're right, and and he, I guess, you know, it seemed kind of right, kind of off, but maybe right, so he jumped in. Your question might be, well, why did he jump in? That's a good question. Hold that thought, uh, Ma uh, Morris. Go ahead. Yeah, if you really think, I'm sorry. If you really think about it. This is, goes back to the Garden of Eden. Explain. When there was there was truth, and there was certainly lies. So you know, when you look at this, you look and say, what type of values did she have, as well as the man? Mm. So you know, when you look at this, she she was temptation. She was temptation to Jacob, and he. Certainly acquiesced to that temptation. So what you're doing? So I I, I hear what you're saying. No, himself should have known not to do that. So what you're saying is, it sounds like a therapy session. It's like it's my mother's fault. It's uh, my mother made me do it. I would have been. I wouldn't have lied. But you know, it was my mother's fault. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Good. All right, um, Ivan. <laughs> yeah, as a as a foundational thought, uh, story. It's not a very honorable story. Excellent. And um, makes one wonder, you know, uh, here's the subterfuge of the mother and subterfuge of the son. Uh, and this is our heritage. Jewish pride, baby. Jewish pride. What kind of foundation is this? Right? Ivan, what kind of foundation is this? This, this, is, this is our founding um, fathers and mothers. This, uh, based on a lie, we got the blessing based on cheating and lying. What is this? Um, I hope there are no Houston Astros fans. But what? It, sorry, that's I said enough. But like, for those that know, there was a scandal. Uh, whatever. Anyway, we'll leave that. We'll leave that aside. Um, wait, hold on. Isn't isn't Ra once I hold on one second. A very important point. Isn't Rabbi Cutler from Houston? Am I wrong here? Am I correct? He is. He is. All right. So don't tell him that I uh, besmirched his Astros and called their title into question from a few years ago. Linda, go ahead. 
So, and and forgive me if I'm if I'm dittoing somebody, but um, Rivka was told by God and and that the younger will serve the elder. So, isn't another way to look at it is that she just kind of helped God along a little bit? Yeah, the uh, she saw it wasn't going that way, and yeah. she's following what she had been told from God. And, yeah. Uh, Sometimes you got to move and shake a little bit, make things happen. Is that you could say that, or is it following God's will? It's like which is it? You could say that she was told that the elder, just to just to clarify, the elder will serve the younger, right? So she's taking matter. If the elder gets the blessing, then uh, it's going against the prophecy. So maybe she's making it happen. Good, 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 excellent. Let's take one more. Avi, go ahead. It seems that Isaac. Probably could could knew actually knew that was going on, and when and he said okay, they change the the kids, but uh, he he deserved the blessing and go and take it. So you're saying it doesn't make sense that he didn't know. He had to have known on some level and said, you know what, let's go ahead with it. Yeah. Okay. I agree. I think Isaac knew, and I'm basing that on the fact that we've read Jacob dwelled in tents. So what did he do in the tent? He must have been on the men's side. With his sister. Okay. Asa uh, was always out somewhere. All right. But listen, y- y- Yitzchak liked the food. What are you going to do? He liked, he liked the, a good barbecue. All right. One more. Adina Malka, go ahead. And then we're going to jump into the, to, the, to the Kabbalah. Go ahead. Well, you know, um, she says that um, the curse is upon me. I mean, if somebody does something wrong, they have to own their mistake. She can't, you know, she can't. That's a good point. Yeah, he can't. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Like, is that a legitimate thing to say that, oh, no, I'll take the curse. Does that actually work? Or was that just a way to get her son off her back and get get in, the, get in that room? All right. So listen, hold on. You got to listen to your mother, she said. All right. Let's, let, let's pause for a moment. And I want to tell you my, my five questions. Hold on. Hold, hold on. Time out. Time out. Time. One second. One second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. One second. Let let me tell you my five questions. Huh? Sorry. Mindy had her hand up for a long time. Saul, not only are you a scholar, you're also a gentleman. You're also a gentleman. All right, Mindy, go ahead. Mindy, go ahead. Speaking of on my behalf, I just was dying to say this. I I just wanted to say that um, why did Isaac tr- trust his sense of feel over his sense of hearing? Mm, because excellent. he heard the voice, he heard it was Jacob's voice, but he, when he felt the animal skins, it's like he trusted his sense of feel over his sense of hearing. Excellent. Or maybe he really did know that it was that it was him. And yeah, and he still went ahead with it. Anyway. Good. But it, I, when I heard that, I, that he mm-hmm. recognized the voice, he, he, it didn't say he was losing his hearing. It said he was losing his eyesight. Correct. So why would he trust his sense of feel over his sense of hearing? Excellent question. All right, hold the questions. Good. Excellent. Excellent question. All right, let's hold all the questions. Let me tell you my five, top five questions. Um, a lot of them, sorry, um, the questions that I ask, I think most of them were raised already by you guys. In other words, excellent job raising the questions, making my job that much easier. I'm going to give you my five questions, and let's jump in now. So question number one, 
And by the way, we're going to address these five questions that I've written down for myself in my notes, but by no means is it limited to these five questions. Based on the Kabbalah, we're going to answer a lot of questions more than these five. It might be your question if it's not listed here as well. All right, question number one. And I don't know that this was mentioned, but this is my first question, and that is, what's the, what's the meaning? What is the meaning of the two kingdoms that Rebecca is told about by the oracle or by God, by the prophet. So she's wondering about the pregnancy and that she's told by God or through a representative of God, depending on which commentary you, you trust, you, add, you, you consult. So she's told there are two kingdoms, two nations inside of you. And when uh, the younger one, the older one will serve the younger one, what are these two nations, two kingdoms? I mean, we're talking about twins here. It seems a bit dramatic to go ahead and start talking about kingdoms. What kingdoms? That's question number one. And what are they fighting about? Part of question number one is what are they fighting about? Right? Two, two kingdoms and they're going to be struggling and perpetually struggling. What's the, what's the fight? And even when they're born, right? So yeah, goes, Esau goes first and Jacob is still fighting. He's still struggling. He's still schlepping the ankle, still grabbing the heel. What's the struggle? It seems like we're indicating a larger struggle than just these two personalities. Something about kingdoms, not individuals, but kingdoms. So clearly there's something bigger than two individuals. What does it mean? That's question number one. My question number one. My question number two is, and I'm not giving answers now. I'm listing the questions and then we need to jump into the Kabbalah because we have so much to get to Kabbalistically that will absolutely guaranteed blow your mind. Not literally, but, you know, metaphorically. Now, question number two. My question number two is, and this was mentioned before, and uh, I don't remember who, who asked this or who alluded to this question, but I'm sure you'll remember if it was you. If, as the prophecy related, if it's true that the older one will indeed serve the younger, in other words, the younger one is superior to the older one, here's the way I'm going to form the question, then why wasn't Jacob just born first, right? The indication of a firstborn is that there's some sort of extra power, spiritually, you know, conceptually, that that's why they're first. There's some superiority there. If the older, if the younger one is really superior as the prophecy related, then why is the older one older? Why isn't the younger one older? And I know what you're thinking, because if the older one was if, if the younger one was older, then the older one would be younger and it would be reversed. All right, I get it. Bottom line is, Jacob, if Jacob is meant to be the superior one, why wasn't he just born first? That's my second question. Question number three, my question number three. And this was definitely discussed by many of you. Why did Isaac prefer, favor, love, whatever adjective you want to use, why did he favor Esau in the first place? Why? And why did he want to give Esau, like originally, initially in there, as, as you know, the kids were growing up, he, the Torah tells us he, he, he favored or he loved the game. In his, and then, and why did he want to give Esau the special blessings? Didn't he know the true nature of his sons? Didn't he know that Esau, Esau was a violent man? He wasn't just a hunter of animals. He was a hunter of humans, a hunter of women, according to the way our sages explain how did he not know the true nature of his son? He didn't know that Jacob was the righteous one. Jacob was the Yoshev Ohel, was the one who dwelled in the tent and studied Torah. And as Doreen mentioned, probably they were studying Torah together. How did he not know his sons? How was he not aware of the truth? So why does Isaac 
Can we, can we assume, I mean, can we imagine, fathom that he didn't know who his sons were? So if he did know, so what's he thinking? How, does, how is he loving or preferring Esau over Yaakov? Esau over, ja over Jacob? Question number four, my question number four. Why does food, and this was definitely asked, why does food play such a big role in this story? And when I say roll, no puns intended. Why does food, because we're not talking about bread, why does food, like the hunted game, play such a big role? It, originally, initially, it says Isaac loved Esau because of the game in his mouth. He only gave the blessings after he was brought the hunted food, or what he thought was at least the hunted food. He says, bring me the food, and then my soul will bless you. What's with the food? I, I, Jews like food, but like on such a spiritual level. How is it tied into blessings? My soul will bless you. May God give you from the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth. What, the blessing of God or channeling God's blessing should be contingent on a steak, a burger, veal. What is this? Next and final question that I have in my list. And this was again mentioned multiple times by you. What's with the trickery and deception of both Rebecca? and Jacob. If Rebecca knew the truth, let's say somehow Isaac was not aware. I, I, it's hard to imagine that he wasn't aware, but let's say he wasn't aware for some reason. How? But Rebecca was. Why doesn't she just communicate? Why doesn't she just tell him, FYI, I know you're into Esau, but you need to know who he is. You should really give the blessings to Jacob. There's no indication that they have that conversation. The Torah certainly doesn't tell us about it. It seems like a very complicated and, you know, uh, I don't want to use any negative words. It seems like, I'm going to keep, keep the word complicated. It seems like a very complicated way to do things. Why not just be upfront and transparent? And if you tell me, if you tell me, that, well, no, that's the only way it was going to work. For some reason, Isaac was just stuck or hooked on, on Esau, and there was no other way around it, or no, no, way, no way around it, and, and, and no, other op, no, no other options. So it had to happen. If she had to go that way, then I'm going to ask the question in a different way. Spiritually, how does it make sense that this is our story? This was asked before. How, how is this our story, our origin story, the story of our people? Right? Jacob, Israel. Jacob's other name was Israel, right? Israel, we're B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. That Jacob's foundation, the foundation for the blessing should be such a um, sneaky, deceptive act. What does it, how, how does it make sense? So you tell me, that's the only way it could have happened. That's a technicality. How does it make sense on a spiritual energy level that that should be the foundation story, the origin story? The truth is, there are many more questions, and you know more than I know, or as well as I know at least, that there are many questions on this story, the story of Jacob and Esau, but we have to jump in to some explanations. What is clear from all of the above, what's abundantly clear, is that when we read the story as written, when we just read the story as it appears on the surface, it leaves a lot I don't know if it leaves a lot to be desired. Let's put it this way. It, it, it leaves us with a lot of questions. It's really not, I mean, if I'm being frank here, it's really not understandable on the surface. Too many questions. Too many questions. We need, therefore, to explore what the Kabbalah, what, what Jewish spiritual teachings, the soul of Torah, 
have to say about this story. As we've explored in the first two sessions thus far, Kabbalah, the soul of Torah, it, the Kabbalah is the soul of Torah. The, there's a body and a soul. And sometimes the only way to understand the body is by looking into the soul. The soul can give us insight as to what's going on with the body. Study the Kabbalah and the story will begin to take shape. So what we've done so far, Act 1, we told the story. Act 2, we asked a bunch of questions. We are ready for Act 3, the Kabbalah. So, let's talk about the two kingdoms. Let's start with our first question. What's with the two kingdoms? What does that even mean? We have two kids, two babe, two, um, two fetuses in a womb. And, 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 God, and the message from God is talking about kingdoms, two kingdoms, one over the other, struggling forever. The younger one will rule the older. What's, what's, what's kingdoms? So clearly, even on a basic level, we're not just talking about two, two brothers who don't see eye to eye. It's much bigger than that. This is a battle of two kingdoms, a battle royale between two ideologies, two worldviews, two cosmic realities, in fact. And this, as I mentioned at the opening, is not just a struggle that happened in that generation. It's a perpetual struggle. It's the battle between the forces of Jacob and the forces of Esau that carries on till this very day. So let's understand a little bit better what it means, what, what this battle means, and what these two kingdoms truly are. The way we're going to do this is we're going to explore the conflict, or maybe let's use a different term, the duality. The duality, the dueling natures of Jacob and Esau, or if you prefer Esau and Jacob, on four different levels. One lower, one higher than the next. We're going to start off at the bottom and go deeper, well, higher, 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 or deeper, 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 depending on how you want to you know, imagine or picture it. Either way, we're going to go deeper into more spiritual, more mystical ideas. We're going to start off on the surface and continue from there. Before I, we actually go through the four, I just want to double check, make sure that everybody is on the same page. You with me so far? Yes? Thumbs up? Yes, yes, yes? Okay. Good. For those of you that I cannot see based on the screens, I am going to assume that you are with me on this. Okay. Let's, um, let's jump in. Four the struggle, sorry, the two kingdoms, Jacob and Esau, on four dimensions. Number one, let's talk historically. The one that we're not going to mention, obviously, is G Jacob and Esau themselves, the personalities. That we don't need, you don't need me to, to give you more commentary on that. That we got. They were struggling, there was a rivalry there, we got it. But what does it mean that there are two kingdoms? So, on the most basic level, historically, there's a battle between the kingdom of Jacob and the kingdom of Esau. What does that mean? Well, who are these people? The kingdom of Jacob is the Jewish people. And the kingdom of Esau, Esau is the father of Edom, and Edom is known in Jewish thought to be the forerunner and the spiritual ancestor of Rome. And Rome is considered to be one of the source nations, empires, civilizations that is at the core of Western civilization. So I hope I'm not drawing too many, you know, too many steps over here at one time. But essentially, 
Jacob versus Esau is Jewish values versus Western values. And when I say Western values, I mean Western secular values. Beginning with Roman values. Judea versus Rome. Judea versus Rome. We know historically that was a conflict, right? For many years, the Romans antagonized the Jews. The Jews tried to overthrow the Romans. It didn't work. The temple was destroyed in the year 69 of the Common Era by the Romans. The Jewish Holy Temple was destroyed nearly 2,000 years ago by the Romans. Talk about the struggle. Talk about the Jacob-Esau struggle manifesting itself on a larger level or, or um, larger, but on a uh, historical level, on a national level. The Jewish nation, the Roman nation. Roman nation is stemming ultimately from Esau. Battling it out, one is up, one is down. <sighs> Historically, these two kingdoms clashed and struggled. And even till today, like I mentioned, the Roman Empire, the Roman civilization being the forerunner of much of what we call today Western civilization. On this level, the clash is still ongoing. I mean, think about it. Think about it. What does our society, I mean, this is not a knock. No, no knocking the, the, the country that we live in and, and the society that, we're, uh, that, that we live in. But the reality is you and I know, we, I mean, there's no reason to pretend that what does our society typically value Fame, money, power, influence, yeah? Influencers, it's a whole thing now. You can go to influencer school to learn how to become an influencer. I'm kidding, but trust me, that's going to happen soon. There's going to be a university course taught somewhere, how to be an Instagram influencer. It's going to happen, or TikTok, or whatever it is, before long. It's all, secular values, Western values, American values, for better or for worse, whatever, I'm, it is what it is, values the stuff, values power, skyscrapers, it's whatever. Materialism. And what about Jewish values? Spirituality and faith and belief and mission and purpose and giving and kindness and chesed. And that's not to say, by the way, just to be completely, completely, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, truthful to the conversation. That does not mean that the aforementioned values that I'm attributing to Jewish values are not present in Western society. And that doesn't mean that Jews cannot be caught up in what I'm, uh, what I'm talking, what I'm pre presenting now as Western values. Of course, it's mixed. But if you look at the books, what does it say? Right? If you look at the books, what does the Constitution say? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? Me, me, me. Rights. I have rights. And Judaism says rights. What kind of rights? You have obligations. Ten commandments, not ten rights. Bill of rights. Imagine the Jews gathered at Sinai and they got the Bill of Rights, ten rights. You have a right to this and a right to that, a right to the other. That's so Western. I don't mean like... Um, cowboys and spurs. What I mean is when I say Western, I mean that's Western civilization. We're predicated on rights and me and what I get and my comfort. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not a Jew. It's not a Jewish approach. A Jewish approach is obligations. So point number one, when we look at the two kingdoms, 
Judea, so Jacob and Esau, Judea and Rome, Jewish values, Western values, they're not the same. I know we talk in this country about Judeo-Christian values at the core of American society, and it's nice, it's nice talking points, but it's not actually necessarily legit. Just because you heard it, just because people say it, doesn't actually mean that they're those values. So that's the first point. That's the first layer of um, the first layer of of uh, of the conversation, the first level of the kingdom duality. The second layer of duality, and I mentioned this. If you go a little bit deeper, right? These are four layers that we're going deeper, deeper, deeper. So we have the historical gap between the historical Gulf duality. We have now a worldview conflict. The struggle, and again, it's, it's, it's going to sound the same, but it's just emphasizing it on a deeper level, not framed by nationalities and history, but framed as an inner, an inner um, worldview, perspective. So it's the struggle. Jacob and Esau is a struggle between spirituality and materialism. And Jacob represents a spiritual perspective, a spiritual worldview. And Esau... He's the, he's the dweller of tents. He's the, he's the student. He's studying Torah all day. And, and Esau, he's the hunter. Represents a material, materialistic perspective. And it's alluded to in the story itself. In a line that many of you mentioned, or some of you at least mentioned, when I asked for questions. And that was, Yaakov, the voice, remember Isaac said he couldn't see when, the, when, when Jacob comes in to get the blessing. He says the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So our sages tell us, you know what? Don't take my word for it. Let me show you. Let's share this. Let's do this together. This is going to be text number three. Um, you know what? Let, let me call on... Let's see. Uh, Mindy, will you read text three, please? Sure. Two legacies did Isaac bequeath to his two sons. To Jacob he gave the voice, as it is written, the voice is the voice of Jacob. And to Esau he gave the hands, as it is written, and the hands are the hands of Esau. So so look look what's going on here. The Medrash says, this is Shemot Rabbah, it says that there were two gifts Two legacies. Jacob gets the voice. I'm not referring to the um, the reality show, the voice, right? He got the voice, which means a spiritual blessing. And to Esau, he gave the hands. In other words, there's two legacies. A legacy of voice, a legacy of spirit, and a legacy of hands, a legacy of materialism. Two different pursuits, two different perspectives. And so when we think about the duality of the two kingdoms, this has to be emphasized. That it's not just Judea and Rome. It's spirituality versus materialism. When the worldview is spiritual, you, you, deeper values are celebrated. When the worldview is materialistic, then more tangible physical things are valued. It's, it's a very different perspective. Let's go even deeper. Let's talk about character conflict. Two different characters. And for this, we turn to Kabbalah. Because Kabbalah explains that within every one of us, we each have two different souls, two fundamentally distinct soul personas. We have a godly soul 
and an animal soul. And what distinguishes one from the other? Well, the godly soul is all about spirituality and about self-transcendence. The godly soul is not in it for itself. The godly soul is always thinking about purpose, what I'm needed for, not what I need. Not what I can ask from my country, but what my country, sorry, what my country can do for me, but what I can do for my country, so to speak. And I said by country, but it's about self-transcendence, doing for the other, doing for God. That's the godly soul, hence the name godly soul. What about the animal soul? That's the second soul. The animal soul is all about self, self-indulgence, self-care. How do I feel? What do I need? Right? What do I like? Yeah, two very different souls, two completely different personas. I'm sure many of you have studied this either with me or with, with other rabbis. If you studied the book of Tanya, you know this is at the core of Chabad philosophy. The, uh, the book of Tanya talks about at length this concept of two different souls, two different personas, and how we're, we're in the middle of this battle that goes on inside of us. The, there's, a, there's a part of us that pulls towards something higher and, and altruistic, and there's a part of us that pulls downward toward the next indulgence, the next physical thing. So, on multiple levels, we can understand the conflict between Jacob and Esau. It's the conflict between Judea and Rome. It's the conflict between materialism, or spirituality and materialism. And it's the conflict between the godly soul and the animal soul. All, everything that I've told you thus far, all of this is brought, well documented in the books of Jewish philosophy, of Jewish mysticism, on this story. When, the, when, when Rebecca, the mother, is told, Mazel Tov, you're pregnant with twins, but it's not so simple. They're struggling. They represent two kingdoms. What are the two kingdoms? Either literally Judea and Rome or more on a, on a worldview perspective, it's the kingdom of materialism versus spirituality or it is godly soul, animal soul. And this certainly gives new meaning to the prophecy of the perpetual struggle because you and I certainly can relate to the fact that today in 2020, today, November 10th, 2020, you and I struggle with this duality. I wake up in the morning. Do I want to take care of myself or take care and help someone else? Do I want to go to shul or I want to play golf? Right? I want to do a mitzvah or I want to, you know, grill. This is the, and I'm giving obviously silly examples, but there are bigger examples out there. But this is the duality. This is the struggle. This is the conflict. Materialism, spirituality. Western values, Jewish values. And sometimes they're in conflict. Oftentimes they're in conflict. So this is three, three ways of understanding the conflict. And really they, they're all kind of the same. But just using three different um, points of reference. But where do these all come from? And for this, we're going to go even deeper. To the fourth I told you we're going to explore this on four levels, the, the dual kingdoms on four levels. Let's go to number four, the highest and the deepest. What are the cosmic, you know, but before I do that, let me check in with all of you. Um, okay, any questions thus far? Questions on what we've explained thus far? Jump in. All good? Where is balance? Where is balance? I think it's in Minnesota. 
I think I once flew over at Balance, Minnesota. It's a great place. It's right, it's right in the middle. It's right, it's right in the middle. I'm joking. I'm joking. You're saying, why can't we have the best of both worlds? Have a little Jacob, a little Esau. Good, all right, you're thinking like a rabbi now. You're also right. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Good, all right, so hold, hold, the, hold the balance. Good, what else? Any other questions, comments? Before, Morris, go ahead. I'm not a scholar by any means, but I think looking at this, you're looking at personalities, and how do you describe personalities? One is aggressive, one is passive. So you're giving an analogy of Rome compared to to the Israelis. It's just I don't see I can understand materialism against spirituality, but we never talked about the relationship of the brothers themselves. So that's a big issue also. In addition to that, as I said, one, Esau was aggressive, and certainly Jacob was not. Now, going back a little bit further, you may say Esau represented food. Now, what does that mean? I mean, from, from the readings here, you know, it has a significance. I don't know what that significance is, but in, in commenting on this again, I think that you're dealing more with personality, spirituality, again, certainly aggressiveness. Excellent, excellent. First of all, I, 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 I like your framing of aggressive versus more passive, and in fact, that description is a perfect segue to the deepest understanding from, this, from the concept of Kabbalah, which we'll get to in a moment. So hold that thought, because as I think you'll see that that ties in perfectly, just to kind of maybe make the connection between these concepts and, and the literal brothers. I mean, if you're talking, as the Torah describes them, Jacob is a dweller of tents, which all the commentaries understand to mean that he was studying Torah all day. That's a spiritual focus. And, and Esau is a, a person of the field hunting, killing animals and eating them. That's a materialistic pursuit. So it's not a stretch to say one represents material uh, pursuits and one represents spiritual pursuits. I mean, that's kind of almost literally the meaning of, of the two brothers' personas. Now, the first point that I mentioned, Judea and Rome, the, 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 the way that flows from the brothers is because literally Jacob is the father of the Jewish people and Esau, Esau is the father of the Roman Empire. So I, that, that's, that's where that flows. And then, of course, we get into the two different souls. But that's a good segue. Let's jump into the Sorry. fourth. Yes, go ahead. Rabbi, I'd like Susan. to say something. Absolutely. I'm, this is Susan. What I'm thinking is this. It doesn't, uh, Jacob is not as passive. He's the one who came up with his plan uh, he he came up with the food and the plan was he knew his brother to uh, to try to get the blessing but then you ask yourself his mother did he did it mattered a lot to him to get that blessing from God he really believed in God and he he wanted that blessing as far as Esau was concerned he was willing to give up that blessing for a meal. So it didn't matter that, my, you know, the, the deeper idea of 
of God's blessing and of an appreciation of God, it, it to me, that's important. So you're saying that the value, Jacob is the guy who values a blessing from God and Esau, he's okay hunting. Okay, good. Hold, hold that thought because I think it's also going to tie in to, um, to, the, to the deeper discussion. So now to the deeper discussion. You see, all of these distinctions, the entire scheme of duality that we're speaking of, whether it's Judea, Rome, whether it's materialism, spirituality, whether it is, whether it is um, uh, the godly soul, animal soul, they all come from an original duality. An orig- now, hold on. When I say the word original duality, do not take me out of context. Judaism believes in... Strong, fierce monotheism. There's only one source at the top. But what I mean by an original duality, you'll see in a minute what I mean is there's an, there, there are dimensions of within the created reality that speak to this duality in spiritual realms. If, if what I'm saying is not clear, let me use Kabbalistic terminology. Kabbalah teaches us that before our world was created, there was another world that was created. There was another reality that was created before the one that you and I know and love. In the language of Kabbalah, that primordial world is known as the world of Tohu. Not Tofu, that's something else. This is Tohu. T, well in in English, T-O-H-U, Tohu. The world of Tohu means chaos. The world of Tohu is the world of chaos. We live in the world of tikkun, the world of repair. You may have heard the phrase tikkun olam, to repair the world. We live in the realm of repair and our job is repair. We live in a tikkun world. That's the world we live in. The primordial world, the world before ours, the realm, the reality before our reality is called tohu. By the way, this is alluded to. This, this is, I'm telling you, this is deep Kabbalah, pure Kabbalah, but it, there's a hook in Torah itself. The, world sa- the Torah says in the beginning, the world was tohu vavohu. If you're familiar with the original verses of the Torah, the first, within the first three verses of the Torah, it talks about how the earth was vaharetz haita tohu vavohu. The world was void or chaotic and void, and etc. So the, world, the word tohu, the Kabbalists say, it means chaos. The Kabbalists say that this is a reference to an earlier state of reality that preceded our reality. So there's a, an earlier form of reality that preceded ours known as Tohu, a.k.a. chaos. What does that mean? World of chaos, world of repair. Tikkun means repair. What's go chaos and repair? What, what's, what, what's going on here? All right. So, to understand this, I'm going to share my screen with you, and we're going to jump into the text. Because what better place to explore the world of Tohu, to take you on a Tohu tour, than from the works of Kabbalah themselves. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to explain. Because it's pure Kabbalah, and it's really not going to make sense without explanation. Here we go. To understand the root of the difference between Tohu and Tikkun. And how Tikkun, the world of repair, comes to rectify and refine Tohu, chaos, serving as form to its substance. So as is known, the lights of Tohu were extremely powerful and intense, and these prevailed a state of abundant light and scanned vessels. Because the vessels were unable to contain the light, they shattered and fell. 
Following that, the Tikkun reality was made with scant light and abundant vessels, with the result that the lights were sustained within the vessels. Now, I know what you're thinking. What in the world did that say? And I'm going to explain. I will, let me guide you through this. It's, it's very possible that those that have studied Kabbalah with me before are familiar with this concept. If you've studied Kabbalah with others, you may be familiar with this concept. But I venture to say uh, a decent amount uh, of you have, are hearing this concept for the first time. So I want to make sure that these concepts are very clear and understandable and also practical. Chaos and order. There's a world of chaos and a world of order. What does it mean? We just read in Kabbalah, it says that the world of chaos, why is it chaotic? Because there's too much light for the vessels. You have big light and small vessels, chaos, destruction. I'll give you an example. Go to a fire, take a fire hose. Like, a, you know, the firefighters used to put out buildings. Yes, one of those. Yeah, they hook it up to a fire hydrant. It gushes with a lot of water. Okay, turn that on full, full power and hold a styrofoam cup in front of it and try to fill it up. What's going to happen? Unmute yourself if you can predict. Be the Swami of the future and tell me what's going to happen to the styrofoam cup in the face of the water from the fire hydrant. Explode. It's going to disintegrate. It's going to explode. So not only is the cup not going to hold the water, it's going to break the cup. What happens if the eye is exposed to light greater than the capacity of the vessel? Not only does the eye not see better, it could see worse, God forbid. You're with me so far? What happens if a teacher tries to explain a concept that's too big for the student's mind? Not only will the student not get it, but it might confuse the student. Are you with me on all these examples? What's the common denominator? Too big light harms the vessel, could harm the vessel. Are you with me on this? Light is not literal, could also be literal, doesn't have to be literal. Light is metaphorical. It means the energy, the substance, the content, the idea, whatever it is. The light is the energy. The vessel means the container. Too much energy, too little container. Not only is the container not going to hold it because it's too small to hold, it could damage the container. You with me? Yes? Yes? If a teacher teaches, if Einstein teaches fifth graders his greatest and most brilliant theories, they're not going to get it. But more than that, they might be confused worse than they started. So you think, a little light is good, so more light is better. And more light is even better. Crank up the light. Not so. That's not the way it works in life. If you have music and you have speakers and you like loud volume and you turn up the sound all the way, what might happen? Not only is it not going to be louder, the sound could clip, the speakers could break, and you're out of sound altogether. You could have too much of a good thing. Kabbalah says, this is what happened in the world of chaos, the world of tohu. Tohu equals chaos. And what's the chaos? Too much light, not enough vessel. Rabbi. Hold on, hold on one second, one second. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me get, let me get this contained. So too much light for the vessel is no good. You think light is good? So more light is better. There's a point beyond which it actually undermines the situation. 
So there's a world, there's a reality, Kabbalah says. With a lot of light, the little vessel, and it doesn't work, this is true in every area of life. I'm going to give you some examples. Let's talk about um, a business. Yeah, you're starting a business. You have a dream, a plan, you got a lot of light. But you don't have a strategy. You don't have a formula. You don't have a plan. You don't have investors. You don't have it built out on the ground. You know what's going to happen. The whole thing's going to blow up. It's not going to work. A relationship that has a lot of love, but not a lot of vessel. In other words, there's not a lot of communication, like the little stuff, the acts of, of, of service to each other. Without the, without the vessels, the light could get volatile. Are you with me on this? Yes? It's true in relationships. It's true in business. It's true in literal light. It's true in fire hydrants and styrofoam cups on every level. And if it's true in that, there's got to be true everywhere. It's a truth of life. Too much light could be harmful. Could be harmful to our health. Let's go the other way. I'll take questions in a moment. Let me just give you the whole piece. Enter the world of Tikkun. So God is mixing... By the way, this is not what's happening. Right? That God's mixing chemicals. Oh, it exploded. Whoops, let's try again. Too much light. Got to cut down on that next experiment. The next time, it's not, not like that. Obviously, it's by design, which we'll talk about soon. But the next reality that's created is our reality. It's called the world of Tikkun. And in our world, there's a little light and a lot of vessel. The light is scant and the vessels are large and broad and wide. We got a lot of container and a little bit of light. Nothing's exploding here. In fact, sometimes we can't even see the light. And when I say light, I mean the spiritual truth. So God hides in this world. We see a lot of world and only a little bit of God. It's really hard to find the creator. You have to really get meditative and look around and study Torah, etc. to find God sometimes because the truth is the vessels the vessels are very large and the light is very dim. This is our reality. Our reality is the opposite of the world of chaos. In chaos, too much light, too little vessel. In the world of Tikkun, the world of repair, it's not a lot of light, a lot of vessel. Let me give you more examples. This would be turning on, you know, opening the faucet, turning on the, the water, just a drip, and using... Um, a bulletproof or whatever it is, some sort of titanium cup. So you're containing the water. You know, there's a little bit of water. You got a strong vessel, right? No, no problem there. This is true in business. Maybe you don't have the best idea, but it's very structured and very organized and very well methodically thought out with investors and this and that and, that and the other and all the pipelines, all the workflow, everything is, is, is laid out. But the idea... Whatever, there's not so much light. Um, let's give the other example. Relationships. You know, the love is not so volatile, not so uh, passionate, but you, everyone's doing for the other. You got the process there. So th I actually stumbled upon words that I want to use. Um, process versus passion. The light is the passion. The vessel is the process. In every area of life, you have passion, you have process. And the question is, to what degree do you have them? So the world of chaos, you have a lot of passion, not a lot of process. That explodes. In the world of tikkun, the world of repair, you have 
maybe not a lot of passion, but you have a lot of process. Morris, go ahead. I wanted to know if Tohu was the world that Noah lived in before the ark was built. Uh, it was chaotic, but no, this is referring to a spiritual reality that preceded our entire, our entire reality. In fact, it preceded it not just in time, but also in concept. It's, it precedes in concept, which we'll discuss. Now, in each, in each scenario, in, in, sorry, in each world, whether it's the world of chaos, whether it's the world of repair, whether it's Tohu or Tikkun, each of them, each of them has a Myla has an advantage over the other. And I'm going to make it very simple. I'm going to make it very simple. There's an advantage to having passion. Right? Passion is good. It means you're, it's, there's energy, there's passion, there's excitement, there's exuberance. It's like it's all, it's, it's bouncing off the walls. It's good. But the downside is without the process, it could, it could explode. Right? Could be too volatile. Okay. It's, it's, it's a little volatile, but at least it's passionate. Well, Tikkun, the world of repair, the world of order. It's methodical, very thought out, very process oriented. But the flip side is the downside of Tikkun is that the energy is a little bit muted. Maybe the, the passion is a little bit stunted. It's a little bit, um, it's, not, it's not so much passion. So, and I know I'm giving you like two not perfect options, but think about it, right? Think about one relationship. There's a lot of passion, a lot of passion, but sometimes it's volatile. Sometimes it's like too much passion versus a relationship where it's orderly and respectful, but you don't have that passion, right? A business that's very passionate, very new, very creative, very... But, you know, a little all over the place versus methodical thought out, but not, not innovating, not passionate. So each one has a myla and each one has a chasarn. Each one has a pro and each one has a con. Each one has, a, has an advantage and a disadvantage. Passion is good. Process is good. So what's the best? Doreen, you mentioned this before. It's why not have the best of both worlds? Why not have the passion of tohu with the vessels in the process of Tikkun. Have the light in abundance and have abundant vessels as well. If only it were so easy. If only it were so easy. You and I know that, that very often when we're very excited, process goes out the window. When we have a lot of process, when a lot of very organized, maybe the, um, the excitement is missing. That's typically the way it works in human nature. Now let's translate it back into our story. You see, men may be from Mars and women may be from Venus. I don't know. That's what John Gray, I believe, was his name once said, once wrote. But here's what I do know. Kabbalah teaches that Esau, Esau, is from Tohu and Jacob is from Tikkun. By the way, you're free to take that title for your book on Kabbalah. Right? Esau's are from Tohu, Jacob's are from Tikkun, run with it, you don't even have to give me credit. Esau, Esau was ruddy, and I'm not even sure exactly what it means by ruddy, but he was hairy, he was a man's man, I guess, maybe, he was a hunter, he was out there in the field, and Yaakov, 
Ish Tom Yoshev Oelim. Simple guy in the tent. Are you with me on passion? Unmute yourself. Who do you think lived a little bit more on the edge? Who lived with more passion? Help me out here. Ruddy is red. Esau. Okay. Esau. 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 Ruddy is red? Okay, there you go. Ruddy is red. Yeah, Esau lived with passion. Now, I'm not saying that Jacob was, you know, sad and depressed. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the way the Torah describes them, I'm going just by the Torah's words. Here you have a guy, he's out there in the field, he's got his bow and arrow, he's got his equipment, he's, got, he's out there in the field, he's doing his, he's, he's, he's a big macher. He's the hunter. And Jacob, Jacob's quiet, simple guy, hits the book, studious fellow, he's in the library. He's in, he's in the library. Yeah, that's, that's what he's doing. So we have two opposites. Stan, go ahead. But then, can we conclude from what we read that uh, Isaac preferred the world of, uh, of tohu, or materialism? Hold on, yes. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Good. Good, 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 good. I like putting... Put, uh, hold, so hold on, let's, but let's do this together. Let's, let's connect all the dots together in, in a moment. So again, Esau is tohu. He's got the passion, the process. Uh, Jacob's got the process. The passion, we don't see it. I mean, he's studying Torah. He's probably excited about it, but... See, here's what, here's what you need to know also about Tohu and Tikkun. Tohu translates into instinct. I'll give you an example. Which are you more passionate about? Your instinctual response or your thought-out response? Answer honestly. Answer instinctively. I'm kidding. Think about it. Instinct. Instinct is more powerful than when you're thinking about it, right? When you get angry, yeah, not anyone here, obviously, but when someone gets angry, yeah, and they blow up, that's instinct. And when you have to calm yourself down, you have to use your mind to control your heart, that's exactly chaos and repair. That's tohu and tikkun played out. You have to understand, tohu and tikkun are two paradigms Right, spiritual paradigms that Kabbalah teaches that literally affect everything in this world. Everything is light or vessel. Everything is passion or process. Instinct, emotional instinct versus thought out, um, methodical uh, behavior. So again, somebody says something, it's offensive and you feel your blood boiling. That's passion. I'm not saying good or not good. That's passion. That's instinct. That's tohu. That's chaos if you let it go, right? Tikkun is, let me step out of the room and let me take a few deep breaths and let me think about, let me get my head in, in front of my heart. Let me guide my emotions, mindfully deal with the situation. That's the tikkun, orderly, um, repair uh, approach. The world of repair, the world of order, not the world of chaos. So again, it's the duality starts at the top. By the way, I need to, I need to mention also, very important, Tohu and Tikkun are not good and bad. It's not good versus evil, evil versus good. No, no, they're both holy. They're both light and vessel. They're both designed by God. As they devolve, as they fall down into this world and affect us, 
it could lead two different directions. You know, it could be unhealthy versus healthy, but it doesn't have to be. Which takes us back to our story. Jacob and Esau. And Esau is the firstborn. You know why he's the firstborn? I, one of the questions I ask is, why is Esau the firstborn? You know why he's the firstborn? Which was the first world? Tohu or Tikkun? Chaos or repair? Tohu. Tohu, baby. Tohu was the first world. The wor first world, the first approach is chaos. Volatility. Lots of light. It wasn't a mistake, by the way. It was intended because, as I mentioned before, there are advantages of each. God wanted that both should be in, in the f fabric of the universe. There should be a lot of light somewhere and a lot of vessels somewhere. And now it's up to us to ultimately marry the two. But the first, the first realm is chaos and then order. So who's born first? You guessed it. The man of the chaotic hour, a.k.a. the man of passion, ace of the ruddy. Hunter, that's Esau, and that's why he, Esau, and that's why he's uh, born first. And Jacob is born second, because he is the mindful, thought-out, methodical, process-first, studious scholar. Jacob and Esau, or Esau and Jacob, Tohu and Tikkun. And so Isaac... God told Rebecca that the, that her younger son would would pre prevail and get the uh, uh, get the blessing. She was fulfilling in, in the material world God's uh, desire. Yes, ho but hold on to that thought because we have to connect all the dots because we have a few loose ends and it's going to come together magically and include your point. But let's Listen, you have the light, let's build out the vessels. See, we're, we're mirroring process right here. So we have the ideas, right? In this class right now, I gave you all the ideas. So the light's there, but let's, let's build out the vessels so that it all comes together. So let's work together on this. Work with me. All right. So Jacob and Esau, or Esau and Jacob, firstborn, secondborn, we have chaos and order, Tohu and Tikkun. Isaac sees, listen to this, Isaac sees the tremendous benefit and the power of passion, of light, of the abundance of light, the abundance of light. So what does Isaac say? Who does Isaac love? Isaac loves Esau. He sees in him the power to move mountains. He sees, if you can only harness the energy of Toe, the chaotic energy, if you can harness that, you can move mountains. You can change the world if you can harness that energy. That's what he sees, and that's what he loves, and that's what he's trying for when he wants to. That's why he loves him, and that's why he wants to bless him. And what about Rebecca? Rebecca has a different insight. Rebecca, as you're right, Richard, and as I mentioned before, Rebecca also had the prophecy that she was told, and not necessarily given permission to share, but she was told. That indeed the younger one will rule over the older one, which means that notwithstanding the power of passion, passion that's unbridled, passion that's undirected, uh, passion that's let to run amok, could be the worst. It could be the worst. It could be the best, but it could be the worst. It's the best if it's channeled. It's the worst if it's not channeled. I'll give you an example. There's a parable that's taught about a horse. 
you know, these Russian parables, Russian Hasidic parables, they often use horses. Why? Because, uh, you know, whatever. That's what, they, that's what they wrote. Today it will be a Mustang, then it was a horse. So there's an example given that when you have a, a, a very fast horse, so what happens if it veers off the wrong way? Very, very soon off the path, very soon you get lost. Very quickly you get lost. But the advantage is, so that's the downside, is get lost really quick. But the upside is you can also get back on track really quick. When you, when you talk about volatile energies, there's a strong advantage, a strong disadvantage. The advantage is you can change the world with that energy. The downside is you can destroy the world with that energy. You and I know the power, the power of big explosions to change the world for the good or for the bad. A big explosion of energy. Right, nuclear power could take lives, the atomic bomb, or could create energy to power the world that we live in. So tremendous energy, tremendous light, tremendous power comes with great responsibility. J Isaac, the father, said, I love the passion. I want to work with him. The mother said, too volatile. We have to get the vessels. We have to let... Isaac lead the way. Are you with me? We have to have the younger brother who can show the process, lead the way, and he can help guide his brother. But if you just give the blessings to the older one, it's going to create more, just pour, pouring gasoline on the fire. So this is, this is what's going I'm going to give you a business analogy. Let me give you a business breakdown. There's a company with a tremendous idea. They have a kit, like a, a game-changing idea, innovative. You've ne you never heard such an amazing business idea. The problem is they're hemorrhaging money. They can't make a profit. They can't make it work. They're bleeding money. What do you do? What do you do? Do you keep on sending them investments? Do you keep on uh, funding capital? Do you keep on bankrolling? Or do you stop it altogether, or do you put someone in, in place to straighten out the ship? You with me on the options? Isaac's approach was, all I, I, as, I just need to give him more light, more blessings, more energy, and, 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 and he'll get, eventually, he'll get it right. He's so passionate, this son, this older son of mine. He's the hunter, he's out there, he's the macher, he's, he's, he's the big guy, he's the... He's doing things, moving and shaking. Let's give him more light. It's going to turn him around. And, his, and the wife, Rebecca, Rivka says, the mother says, that's not going to help. You're going to give more money. You're going to enable more. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to be even worse. You give more money, the whole thing's going to, funding, it's going to, it's going to sink even faster. They're, they're bleeding through money. This is going to make it even worse. You're going to give him more light, more blessings. It's going to make the whole thing worse. That was the fear. The fear of Rebecca. Rebecca says, don't give the blessings to the older son. Give the blessings to the younger son. And let the younger son guide the older. The older will serve the younger means. Let the light be a slave to the vessel. Let the vessel guide the way. Not that you shouldn't have the light. Ultimately, as was mentioned before, I think Doreen said, the best is the integration of both. The killer idea and the killer implementation. That's the best. Right? Look at Amazon today. They're killing, at least profit-wise, they're killing it. Eh? They started off bleeding through money. 
And now, I don't have to tell you what's going on. You got to have the light and the vessel, but you got to have the vessel in place first. As Rebecca Isaac says, no, give the light. He'll get it. He'll get it straight. He'll get it together. This was the great debate between the couple, between that Jewish couple, Yitzchak and Rivka, Isaac and Rebecca. At the end, we know that Rebecca prevails. Well, she made it prevail by making sure that her younger son got the blessing. But we also know in life that you really do need process before you keep on pouring in the light. You do need to build out that vessel before the light. Because just to hope on a wing and a prayer that more light, more energy, more love, more giving, more investment, it in and of itself is going to turn things around. You and I know that that's not what happens. That's not what works. What works is doing the work, fundamental change from the inside out. And that's where Isaac, that's where, sorry, Jacob comes in. Jacob, the man of Tikkun, the man of repair. So I want to go through the, the, all, all the questions and just make sure we answer them. Question number one we asked before is what's the deal with the two kingdoms? Well, by now you know ultimately on the highest level the two kingdoms are Tohu and Tikkun. Light and abundance of light, abundance of vessels. And that's what it represents, the battle between these dualities. Um, if, if, the, if the older will serve the younger, right, then why wasn't the younger born first? Well, that's not how it works, right? The older is the older and the younger is the younger, but the older needs the younger. The light is the light. The vessel is the vessel. The, ve the light needs the vessel. But you have toe and tikkun, and toe needs tikkun. That's the way it works. You have repair and chaos and repair. First you have the chaos, and then you can fix it up. Why did Isaac favor, third question that I asked before, why did Isaac favor Esau? I told you, because he got the energy. He loved the passion. He thought it would help to give him the blessing. That's why he wanted a blessing. Why does food play such a big role? It's just emblematic of the energy. The hunting is emblematic of the energy, the passion that he had, the food. He says to his son, give me the food and I'll bless you. I want to see the passion, the hunting, the game. Not exactly about the physical hunting, but show me the passion. I want to give you that blessing to channel it in the right way. He's hoping he could turn his son around with, with, with more love, with more, more giving. But that's not what works necessarily. Sometimes it takes a little structure to turn things around. Final question that I asked, which we haven't fully addressed. I'm going to address it now and then we're going to conclude. So if all of this was true, if Rebecca knew the truth, that yes, there's a lot of light to the older son, but you got to have the vessels, the process, in addition to the passion, why didn't she just tell her husband? Why didn't she go over to her husband and say, listen, let's sit down, let's have a conversation. You're into light, I'm into vessels, you're into like big ideas, I'm into sustainability and profits, let's work together, let's allow this, the brothers to work together, let's make this work. She doesn't do that. Why not? Here's the final twist. Kabbalah says that the world of Tikkun, which is symbolized by Jacob, Jacob is the reincarnated, Jacob is the Tikkun. The world of Tikkun, the world of repair, is the Tikkun, is the repair for the original, sorry, wrong word, for the first sin, not original sin, for the first sin of Adam and Eve. Think about it. How did Adam and Eve sin? You remember lesson one. Who convinced them? It was the serpent. The serpent was sly and conniving and deceptive. Oh, you'll be, you'll be exactly like God, knowers of good and evil. And that didn't work out. The snake was sneaky. The serpent was deceptive. 
And Jacob, in order to repair the chaos that ensued from that moment, Jacob and Rebekah had to also act with deception. That was the tikkun. This is the way it's explained in the Kabbalah. The tikkun, the repair of that original chaos happened through similarly deceptive means. So the snake tricks Eve and Adam and Jacob tricks, so to speak, his father and gets the blessings, the big light, the light of materialism. The blessing was, by the way, the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth. Lots of wine and grain. He got a material blessing. The material abundant blessing, the light, the materialistic light, so to speak, was given to Jacob in order to work with, with his abundant vessels. So, in conclusion, in conclusion, what we learned today is that really the struggle of life, the struggle of life between impulse and thoughtfulness, the struggle between materialism and spirituality is no less than the struggle between the original characters of Jacob and Esau. Like they struggled then with each other, we struggle now within ourselves and within with the larger world and our society around us. And the struggle is likely not going to go away. But here's what we need to remember. We have been given tremendous power, tremendous resources. Resources that are so powerful, but typically they fall in material places. The passion that people have is to make money, to be famous, to be powerful. Yeah, I don't need to tell you, right? The passion that you see out there in the world is typically trained for selfish things. Let's talk about money. We work hard to make money, and money can be a destructive tool, but it could also be the greatest spiritual tool as well. The story of Jacob and Esau tells us the following. We shouldn't only let the Esau's of the world get the money. We, the Jacob's of the world, also need the gelt to make things happen. To make good things happen, you also need to be bankrolled. You also need resources on a very practical level. Yeah, you got to have resources to make amazing things happen. That's the deeper significance of the blessing. Rebecca tells, her, Rebecca tells her son, Jacob, listen, the material blessings, not just to your older brother, but you also need them. And so ever since we've been following our mother Rachel's orders, we dress up in the clothes of Esau. We, yeah, Jacob's following his mother's orders. Sorry, Rebecca. Sorry, Rebecca's orders. And what's, what are the orders? Wear your brother's clothing. Yes, you might be a Jew and you might be a scholar. It doesn't matter. You put on the suit and you go to work and you collect from the blessings of Isa. You collect from the, the light and abundance and the passion that sometimes manifests itself in the material world. Take that passion, take that energy, convert it into a spiritual place and make the world shine with abundant light. Ever since, we've been listening to our mother and we've been dressing up in the clothes, even if it feels uncomfortable, we put on those clothes, we go out into the world, we tap into that energy and that power, and we utilize it, leverage it for good to make a difference. May you and I truly be blessed with material abundance to then convert and leverage to make a true difference in this world, to make the world a place worthy of being called God's world, a world that is filled with light, the most abundant light, and a world that is filled with peace and harmony for us all. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for lesson number three of Secrets of the Bible. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it to be mind-expanding and also grounded. That's the goal. 
big ideas, practical ideas. I hope you'll never look at the story of Jacob and Esau the same again. And I hope some of the questions of the story have been answered. All right, I'm going to stay on for another few minutes, maybe five minutes or so. Feel free to ask. Oh, hold on. Before I go, next week, same bad time, same bad channel. Thank you. Join, you're welcome. Join me. Thank you for the thank you. Join me for an epic conversation about Joseph and his brothers. You may have seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You have never studied the story of Joseph like you will next week. Joseph... A story that's never been penned, the Kabbalistic story. Joseph, my favorite hero in the Torah, we're going to explore from a space of Kabbalah next week.